Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Well, if you take out your, uh, your Bibles and open up to Isaiah 63, we're going to go through 63 and 64 a little bit this morning. Uh, the we are coming towards the end of Isaiah's God, or Isaiah's message to us. Uh, we actually only will have uh, two more sermons after today, so this is the third to last in Isaiah, and we will actually, um, because of the snow, we'll push one into the new year. But it's been a long journey through Isaiah's book, through this long, beautiful, poetic book of the Old Testament that that does speak so much of what we celebrate this season, the, the coming of one who would serve, be a servant to us, for us, uh, on behalf of God, but also a king, uh, one who would lay down his life and, and, and live a life that was worthy uh, of God and, uh, and lived a life that we never could. Uh, one of the thoughts that I want to just comment on as we kind of come this morning uh, towards the end of Isaiah is one of my hopes and one of my desires, at least as we preach or, or go through books and study them and, and grow in them together, is is oftentimes my heart is that you, that each of us, that the church and all together, uh, that people will just know their Bibles a little bit better. Because have any of you started receiving Christmas cards yet? Email? Okay, somebody, maybe I'm sorry. I promise you, if you get a lot of Christmas cards, there's a good chance that you will probably get one that maybe has a, a verse from a book like Isaiah in it. That'll have one of these verses, one of the you know five or six verses that we really celebrate from Isaiah. You'll maybe have that verse from Isaiah in the book, in your Christmas card. And my heart is, is that when we get to a verse like such, uh, and, and we read it, and we think, oh, that's from the book of Isaiah... Or when we get in our devotions or, or, or some kind of Bible reading where we see a verse from Isaiah, that we can think about it and say, oh yeah, Isaiah, what was that about again? And, and that we remember as we've studied through it that it's about a God who is, who is mighty and holy and is seated on high. And Isaiah realizes that because of his sin and his brokenness, he can't even go before the Lord because he says, I'm a ruined man. But yet at the same time, it's a book that speaks this beautiful story of God bringing uh, promising one who would come to uh, comfort us, to be a, a, a servant uh, on our behalf, and then and then ultimately to be our king who conquers and reigns on high. So this morning, we, we want to remember that, because when we get that Christmas card that has that verse from Isaiah, uh, we want to remember not just that it, it speaks of that holy uh, Jesus child in a, in a manger, but it also speaks of, of a people who are just longing for this day. Sometimes the Christmas story, we, we get it and we get so excited about it, but we don't know the, and we don't remember the deep desire and the, the brokenness of the people who really wanted that child to come. And so the brokenness of the people which ultimately they were hopeless if the hope of a child didn't come. They were hopeless if a king didn't come and live a life on their behalf. These things are, are helpful for us to remember as we enter into Isaiah 63 this morning. It was three, th- three weeks ago that we, now that we 
studied 61 and 62, and it's helpful for us to remind ourselves of the picture that was painted for us then. A, a, a king, a groom, we said, who is going to come for his bride, the church, or his people, and make them look really beautiful. You remember that from 61, and, and we read in there that there was a one coming to grind up broken hearts, to, to free captives, to, to bring hope and joy to those God's people. We heard in 61 that the year of the Lord's favor was coming, where, where sins and reconciliation would happen and, and be forgiven and restoration would come. And we saw Jesus in, in, in the sports say, this time has come when, when I have come to bring the year of the Lord's favor. We had that picture, and it, it was a beautiful picture, and, and I want us to be refreshed that, that God is coming in that way where he wants to make his bride, the church, and his people beautiful. We'll remember if we look at 62, verses 6, he says, on your walls, O Jerusalem, he leaves us with this in 62, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the days and all the nights, then they shall be, never be silent, and they shall speak out. Verse 11, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes he left us, we left off three weeks ago, with this idea of guys uh, on the walls of the, the city of Jerusalem, looking out over the horizon, looking down into the valley, and watching for their Savior to come. That was the image we were left, left with. And, and that's important because now as we move towards 63, we're going to see an interaction between the watchman on the wall and who he sees coming in chapter 63. That kind of sets up for this passage or this message, which I've titled, Oh, That the Lord Would Come. The brokenness of a people who desired Jesus' first coming and now who will start to see uh, their, their king coming from the horizon. I hope that that's the question we're even asking ourselves. Oh, Lord, that you would come. That our hearts are stirred. And when we ask that question, that we do it for the right reasons, the reasons that reflect who he is and who we are. So this morning, let me read for us, after I pray, chapter 63, verses 1 through 6, as we get into this story of what the watchman sees. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much this morning that uh, we can gather around your word. We want to hear from and honor you, and we do that in this humble, humble, sinful, humble way. So Jesus, I ask that, that you send your spirit and that you, you, you guard my mouth from what you don't want me to say and that you allow me to speak what is honoring and glorifying to you. We ask, Lord, this morning that we can have humble hearts and the desire to seek you revive our hearts. May they be excited for you. Isaiah 63, 
who comes from Edom, in crimson garments from Bozrah, who, he who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the, great, in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why, are your, why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads on the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I have trodden them in my anger. I, I trampled them with my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered uh, on their garment, on my garments and stained all my apparel. The day of vengeance is in my heart, and my, the year of redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. For my own arm brought you to salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. And we'll read the rest of the chapter a little bit later in Luke 3. This morning, Isaiah speaks to us not the picture of a little small child who we say is oh cute and, and isn't it adorable him in the manger, but he has, gives us a rather stark, difficult passage, one that in ways there are times where I wish I could just kind of skip over pictures like this because they're hard to preach through. But he, as he's coming down, as Isaiah is coming towards the landing plane, of his book, and, and, and he's watching. The watchmen are, are looking out in this, over the valley. They see someone coming. They see someone coming towards them. And we're asking, this dialogue kind of comes, and we want to ask with the person on the wall, who is this that's coming? Who, who is the one that is approaching God's people? Is it the Messiah who, who welcomes the, the year of the Lord, or is it someone else? that this is the one who, who comes. He identifies himself at the end of verse 1 as, it is I speaking righteousness and mighty to save. Those are, are, are kind of trigger words that connect us with all of what Isaiah said in righteousness and of having the ability to save. This is the anointed one who is walking towards the city. And we can ask, who is this that's coming? And he asks that in verse 1, who is this who comes from Edom, who comes from and this idea, what, what then comes out through these verses is this really sobering image. And it becomes, if we understand this to be the anointed one to come in, this becomes a sobering image of a sin-hating God. It's not your normal Christmas message, I know. But it's part of what Isaiah wants to, us to know is coming and is moving towards us as we see this broken people in Isaiah who need a Savior both the groom from a couple weeks ago and also this victorious groom warrior who is coming this morning from the battlefield. Who is it that comes? We get from this guy as, as we have this picture of, uh, of someone coming far off in the horizon and he sees him dressed in what appears to be red clothes and he's coming from the direction of Edom. Edom is the city that was Israel's enemies. They were the people of Esau, the descendants of, of Esau, who were the brothers or the, 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 the relatives of Israel. Edom come from Esau, and, and they were the ones that, if we remember back, they were their grandfather was Abraham, and, and then their father was Isaac, and, and Jacob and Esau, they, they kind of feuded together, and Esau was the one that 
that when he came in from, from being out, he said, I just am starving, I'm hungry. And, and he exchanged his birthright for a meal. He settled for the immediate gratification rather than taking God's blessing. Where this uh, this person that is coming in Isaiah 63, he's, he's coming from where the people are that, that is describing a people who would rather care about the right here, the right now, rather than being under the blessing of God and, and trusting in God and His ways. It, it speaks of a people who, who are thinking about this life, not the God who cares for them. And in this great book, this where this is going is we're speaking of one who's coming back from there, and it speaks of him. He's splendid. He's marching. This is the idea of him coming back from battle, and it speaks that he's coming in great strength in splendid garments. He is the king coming back from the battlefield, from their enemies, from a people who really don't care about God, who have distanced themselves, who have rebelled, who are not following God's ways. He says, it is I, righteous and mighty to save. I have come not only uh, to save you, but the imagery here is I've come from a battlefield where I've take care, taken care of my enemies. This is a much different, it's a contrasting picture to the groom who comes to make his bride beautiful. It, it, it's one that, of a warrior who comes and is stained in Verse 2, why is your apparel red? Why is your garment like him who treads on the winepress? This dialogue between the guy on the on the wall and the guy who's approaching, the anointed one who's approaching, comes down to this. He realizes that it's not that your clothes are actually red. It's actually that they've been stained by something red. They have gone from pure white or whatever color they would have been to uh, crimson colored because of the stain that has come upon them. He says... He doesn't want to speak of it like he, he knows what it is. He says, why are your apparel like that who, who treads on the wine press? Like him who goes and squashes grapes and, 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 and squishes and gets all the juice out of them so that they, the splattering of the juice has now covered the clothing of this one. He, he's kind of tiptoeing around the subject of why have you come back from battle? Why are, why are your clothes red? What, what has just happened? Verse 3, this approaching one says, yes, I have indeed tread the winepress. He speaks, he takes hold of that, that imagery, that, that simile, uh, and, and grabs hold of it and says, yeah, I've come back from the winepress, but not one of grapes. He says, I've trodden them, my, the peoples, in my anger. I've trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood has spattered on my garments. Again, a tough image. But this imagery of him going and being victorious over those who have gone against God's ways, against God's uh, purposes and his kingdom. He goes to explain why this has happened. He says, but the day of vengeance, verse 4, is on my heart. You remember back to 61, he spoke that said, the year of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus said that that came and that door was open where people could come and be reconciled back to him. But then it also said in 61 that a day of vengeance would come. And that is what is kind of spoken of here. The day when that door would close and those who would not accept him would be destroyed. He goes on to speak that I went, no one went with me, only I went. 
because it was in my anger for sin. It was in my hatred for sin that I went out and I destroyed that which was in rebellion to me. The picture through Isaiah is of a king who's coming. And here we have a king who hates sin and wants to rebel against it. The king who knows from heat on clean, who just concerned about today, who, who would rather think about today rather than holding out for the greater promise of God and holding out to what he has promised to them. He says they're going to be destroyed. Now this image is the figurative image that kind of leads us into the bigger heart of the message. We get this warrior or this this one who is coming who wants to destroy that which is not following and trusting him and, and it's mixed with great mixed emotion. Both joy that, that here this king comes, but at the same time there is a an awe, a fear, a trembling that comes as this king comes. This one who is on the wall, he's sitting there asking, is this safe? It, is, is, what is he going to do to me? How, is, how am I to respond? In verse 7, he moves instantly towards prayer. As we start to see uh, that, that this groom who, who we learned about earlier is coming and is going to make his bride beautiful, we also see him for who he is and his hatred towards that which goes against him and that he wants to wipe that out. And therefore, we need to ask, what is the proper response? And it is to fall to our knees in prayer. Look with me at verse 7 to 14. We don't know who the watcher on the wall is. I would suspect it to be a vision that Isaiah is giving, getting of this one coming. And he says, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord. The praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted. And the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they will be my people, children who will not go into the falsehood. And he became their savior and in their affliction he was afflicted and the angel of the presence saved them. Love and with pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Now, the question we can ask is if this is Isaiah speaking, we have to ask, who is he speaking to? And it, it sounds as if he's speaking to someone around and he's speaking to the nations, but when you get down to verse 14, where he starts to wrap up this early part of the prayer, he declares that he is actually speaking to God. Verse 14, so you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. This prayer where he's saying, I will recount of your love and, and, and of what you've done. He's actually directing it to God. He's reflecting on God's prior action and what he's done. And he starts to go through his mind that word, I will recount the other translations uh, that we could look to say these words like, I will make known, or I will tell, or I will mention of what you have done of your steadfast love, of your covenant, Lord. The intent here is to say that he is speaking of things like, I know that this warrior or this king is coming towards me, and it is a frightening thing. And so what I am going to do is remember and reflect back and start uh, not just having fond memories, but I am going to start lifting up and reminding God of what he has promised, of his love, his promises, his, his compassion to pull a people aside 
for himself and make a name for himself. He starts to rattle off these things. And again, he's praying here. Think of our own prayers. When we start to understand who God is, both in his love and also in his holiness, his hatred for sin, when we go to him in prayer, when we bow our knees, when we fold our hands, is the first thing that we go to just requests? God, what can you give me? Or do we start out our prayers by going before him and reflecting what he is doing here to say, God, I, I realize that I'm a sinner. I, I realize that I am nothing without you. And, and I need to remind myself and, and have a dialogue with you and say, God, I am reminded of your promises, your compassion, how you rescued me, how you saved me from my brokenness. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted. The great goodness of the house of Israel that he has granted according to his compassion. Do we go before the Lord in our prayers and we start to realize and meditate on who he is? Do we go before him and say, God, I I need to remind myself of, of just who you are right now in this moment before I ask anything else of you. I need to sit there and stew on what you have promised brought me clean. We reflect on this prior action in our lives. We think back to our own testimony of when he saved us, of what he's brought us through, how he's redeemed us, or do we just go to thinking about what we need for the moment? That's where this prayer goes. It speaks, it goes right into saying, God, you are compassionate, you are loving. I, I see the, this this wrath-filled warrior who wants to defeat sin, but I also know that you're loving, and I'm going to hold that intention, and I'm going to even look back uh, on when you brought your people out of Israel. And that's where he goes in 11 through 14. He speaks of him bringing people out during the time of Moses and rescuing them from bondage, rescuing them out from a place where they were distant from their God. A place where he said, I I will make you a people. I I know that you will be my children, but then he also promised we know that when they went out in the, in the wilderness after Egypt, they, this people that were his children that he called, that he brought out, that he rescued, what did they do? They start worshiping right away. They knew, he knows, that this prayer is going back and saying, like, we as a people continue to be broken. We continue to chase our own ways. We continue to fall away from you. But I'm going to remember your compassion. Why? Because, God, you care about idea of a glorious name is the idea that God, uh, from the beginning of Isaiah, from chapter 6, all the way through, he's saying, I want to be recognized in the world as creator God, who is reigning and ruling over this. I want people to turn their eyes and their ears and their hearts toward me and worship and bow down. I care about my great name and how God created it. And that's what Isaiah, or whoever this is in the Watchtower is recounting, he's saying, God, I, I, I'm putting my trust not in my works, not in my actions. I don't have anything to offer you. I only can trust in the fact that you want to bring a people to yourself so that you can be made known through the land and be made known glorious. He's doing this because of 
reflecting on it. And he's chewing on it, and he's holding to it before he asks anything of God. He knows his God well. And he wants to hold these same contentions on his trust. And for us this morning, again, when we go in our prayer, when we go before the Lord, are we, are we honoring him? Are we looking to him as we should? Are we reflecting and saying, Lord, the only reason I have to be able to go to you is because you care about your glory. You made it known when you brought your son, when he came to live a life that I could never live. When he died for me so that he could rescue me, he could give me grace, mercy, and bring me back into a relationship with you, a relationship I don't deserve. anything of God, what, what this, this prayer, whoever is on this, wall, on this tower or on this wall is doing, what he's doing is merging his way, his heart, he's aligning his heart with God and saying, I need to be lined up with who my God is before anything else. I need to go before him and remind myself of who he is. That this isn't about me, this is about him, and, and it is about his glory that I need to merge and align with. With my heart, my mind, and my proclamation. And then it's at that point that we can turn and transition and start to make our requests known before God. For this person, this prayer warrior who is interceding for God's people, who is watching and proclaiming the God that is coming, the warrior who is coming towards them, he is proclaiming, he starts to cry out for revival. your holy and beautiful habitation, where your zeal and your might, the stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from you. For you are our father, though Abraham did not know us, and Israel did not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer, from of old is your name. So, O Lord, why do you make us wander from your way, or and harden our hearts so that we fear you? Return for the sake of your servant and the tribes of your heritage, your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those with whom we have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. He starts off requesting God, and he says, God, look. Look down from where you're at. We remember that imagery that I keep going back to, Isaiah 6. Isaiah had that vision of a holy God who, who was in heaven on his throne. And he's saying, Lord, I know you're up there. Look down and have, have mercy on us. See us and even return to us. He, he's lamenting the fact that God is not present amongst them. He says, God, I know that you're Father, and I know that you have a heart towards us, and I want you to come, return, Advent, Lord, come to us. He says, without you, Lord, we wander, and, and, and what he, he speaks of is that when our presence, when God's presence is removed from us, our nature is to go our own way. But when you remove, it seems as if you're hardening our hearts I don't think that that's what's actually going on. He's not saying you are hardening hearts. He's saying when you are when you leave us, uh, when you leave 
love us as a father and you distance yourself from us, uh, that our natural inclination is to be hardened to you and, and to care about only ourselves and not to be softened to your grace and your mercy. And so please return to us. We want you to be amongst us. He says, when you're not amongst us, and, and what we need to understand is, is when we are, do not have God's presence in us, we just end up being like the rest of the world. And he says, Lord, when you're not with us, we become like those who have never been ruled by sin. There's nothing important about us. And so this morning, I, I think what we need to hear in that church is, is that when we, when we just simplify our Christianity, when we, when we simplify our belief in, in the fact that God gave us some rules to follow and just make us good moral people, like, that's not what our faith is. That's not what makes us special. To be just good people is not it. What is important is that when we come and God dwells with us and He's in our midst, when we have His presence being regenerated by the Spirit and He comes into the midst, that's when we're special. It's God's presence that's important. It's God's presence in us and amongst us that makes us experience Him and makes us special set apart for God. We should long for his request is on all is above anything else is saying, God, I want you in my life. I want your presence in my world. That's where he goes. And we return to him. Just like this before. He says, Oh, that you would lend a helping hand, Father, in your time. That the mountains might quake at your presence. Verse 2. And when fires kindle brushwood and fires cause water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that your, the nations might tremble at your presence when you did awesome things that we did not look for. You came down and the mountains quaked in your presence. Again, he's going back to the Exodus. For of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Those who joyfully work righteousness, those who remember you in their ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been but a long time. And shall we be saved? Question mark. We've all become like ones who are unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, and we all fade like a leaf, and our iniquity like wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. Recognizing, He knows how broken His people are. Oh Lord, please come. We want You to come. And that's what we should long for. We should want Him to come. He's, in His heart, He's deeply longing for God. And He says, Lord, I wish You would just tear open the heavens and come down. And that You would rip open the skies and descend on this earth and come and be with us and do mighty things awesome things like we've seen before. He wants revival. He wants the people to be stirred as they see their God, to be reminded of who He is, and to draw and to worship properly, to not wander in their own sin anymore. The sin that He knows this warrior is going to destroy. A sin that He knows God dislikes. And what He wants is revival. 
doesn't just want more people to come to be saved. He wants the hearts of his people to be revived for sin. He moves on and he speaks of these things. I want the heavens to be torn open. He wants revival to come and he realizes it's because of their sin that they want it. He wants it done. It's interesting that this word, would you tear open the heavens, 64.1, oh, that you would do that. That's spoken of several times in the New Testament. It's spoken of, we know Isaiah is alluded to in the book of Revelation in 19, where, where God speaks and he says, he says, John sees in his vision, I saw the heavens open, that idea, it opened and behold a white horse, and one who was sitting on, on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Again, we get this imagery from 63 of this warrior coming. And the name by which he called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the Again, imagery from 62 of Isaiah. And the fury of the wrath of God and Almighty. His robe, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. God did come, or his promise to come as Isaiah desires. He is going to rip open the heavens and come. But here's the mercy of God. Isaiah cries out and wants that. God knows that if he comes in that fashion first, if he comes first as that warrior, if he comes first, that we would all be deceived. Because as he's asking this, we've been in our sin a long time, that we have sinned against you, and will we be saved? But thankfully, we have what we celebrate at Christmas time. This child coming. This one who came again, who descended from the skies. And we also read that word, not just in his birth, but also later in his baptism. Mark 1, it says this. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan, by John in the Jordan. And get this word. And when he came up out of the waters, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Isaiah's request for God to come, it didn't just come at the end, it didn't just come what will be his victorious second coming, but he also came and the heavens were ripped open in his first coming. He descended on him like a dove, and Jesus lived as one that we could never live, in the way that we could never live. He lived his life, he became that servant for us, he died, he took the wrath for us, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have newness of life, prayer that sees that warrior king coming should remind us to pray. It should remind us of the compassion of God's love and, and ask us, Lord, Lord, return and have favor on us. And what's more is we move into these last verses, 8 through 12. It says, restore us, return back to you, save us, O Lord, that you would come so that we could turn back to you. And then in verse 8 it says this, but now, O Lord, you are our Father, 
I think oftentimes we, we like to think of us being the clay in God's hands and Him shaping and, and molding us. And, and we think of that as a really good thing that we're, we're this really good piece of working clay that He's working with. But the context that it comes in is saying, we are messed up people. And we need to be shaped into something that God can actually use. Lord, come and, and shape us. Shape away the sins in our lives. Shape away the things that you despise in our life. Mold us into who you want us to be. Be not so terribly angry at us, Lord. Verse 9. Remember not your iniquities, Lord. But please, Lord, we are all your people. Your holy city has become wilderness. Zion has become ruinous. Jerusalem is desolated. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire and all our pleasant places have become wicked. But without you, Lord, we are ruined. Shape us, mold us. And he's not just talking about individuals. He's talking about a community. And I pray that for our church. Mold us, Lord, into who you want us to be. Mold us in what something that is usable for you. Remove the sin. Remove the things that you despise from our midst and turn us into who you want to be. Restore us. Verse 12, it leaves us kind of on a, on, a, on a question mark. Will you restrain yourself like we sin of the Lord? Will you keep silently and afflict us so terribly? Lord, we know that we are wandering from you. We know that we don't follow you. We know that we are nothing without you. Lord, will you stay away? Will you restrain yourself? Or will you rest in us? The answer, of course, we celebrate this Christmas time is yes, you will come. Not just in this second coming that we hope for, but in the first coming that we celebrate as child. God knew what we needed in Jesus as Savior to come and rescue us, so he said, I won't restrain myself. I won't keep silent. I will come into this world in the form of a man, uh, led by the Spirit, walking in perfectness, walking as the life that is worthy of sacrifice for the Lord, so that we can have relationship with was to rescue us, to save us, to come and to mold us. So that now we can be redeemed and have salvation in Him. So as we go towards our prayer, as we go towards a song in a little bit, but we'll sing and rejoice what He's done, we remind ourselves just of how big Christmas is. That it's not just the presents, it's not just the, 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 the decorations. That this was Isaiah's prayer, Lord, Come, and we ask, Lord, come in our hearts now and come again so that we are brought to you fully. We pray this in the Lord is Lord, we see the watcher on this wall. What he sees, Lord, isn't something that is. the prayer of we believe Isaiah 
expression of Himself to you. And He's calling out to you your promises. Lord, I ask for each of us that in our hearts we can spur, be spurred on and be reminded and, 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 and proclaim, even as we sing and worship You, enlightened by the things that You've done for us. stir in us and revive in us our hearts that want to know you, experience you, and return to you. Lord, mold us as well. Mold us into the people that are more and more like Jesus in the life that we live. By the power of your Spirit and not by our efforts, may you remove the sin, may you, uh, may you work in our hearts to the